while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and today the Reasonable Voice on our show is Pat Elder, the director of the National Coalition to Protect Student Privacy, NCPSP. The National Coalition to Protect Student Privacy works to prohibit the automatic release of student information to military recruiting services gathered through the administration of the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, that's ASVAB, a career exploration program in high schools across the country. The organization works to safeguard student privacy from the Pentagon's predatory recruitment practices. So please welcome my, our guest. Um, I remember ROTC in high school very well. I can't wait to, to hear what Pat Elder has to say. Hello, Pat. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on, Marcella. I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you today. Well, I and I'm looking forward to it too, Pat. I... Uh, I mentioned my own experience uh, when when I was in high school, which was not so uncommon. We had a very, what shall I say, serious ROTC presence. I think even an army colonel or, or lieutenant colonel was in charge. I am not sure of that. But I do know, while I was excelling in the rifle drill, it did occur to me, even at that young age, that something was going on. Using, for instance, the Civilian Marksmanship Program or the JROTC, wherever you want to start, what was going on and what is still going on between our military and our high school students? Well, um, thanks, Marcello. It's complicated, uh, as these things are. Yes. But generally speaking, there are four major categories programs, if you will, that the military employs in the nation's public high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the um, Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, or ASVAB Military Enlistment Test. Military gives that test now to 
more than 700,000 children in public schools and, gosh, 12,800 public schools. So that's one way that the military operates in schools. Another way, as you mentioned, is through the J-ROTC program. We we distinguish much other between J-ROTC and simply ROTC. Mm-hmm. It is the Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps program. And I make a, a, a very large distinction between the two programs. You know, the, the ROTC program on campuses deals with young adults. Mm-hmm. The J-ROTC program, on the other hand, deals with children that are as young as 13. And to me, there's a world of difference. So our campaign and our coalition, as well as a lot of these counter-recruitment groups across the country, mm-hmm. are more concerned with the uh, psychological and insidious practice of recruiting children that young. So we, we are focused on the j Roxy program in the public schools. So so that's two programs, right? you know, the, the military testing, the ASVAP, mm-hmm. and, then, and then the j Roxy. There's another regime, um, and it's known as the, the opt-out uh, program. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it's a little complicated, but in a nutshell, we might be able to pick this up a little bit later. There's a federal law passed um, in 2001, right after 9-11, Mm-hmm. Uh, President Bush signed it into law, and it's it was part of the, well, it's called the Every Student Succeeds Act, now mm-hmm. ESSA. And um, it, it basically says if a military recruiter requests the names, addresses, and phone numbers of kids in a public high school, then the principal has to hand that list over to the Pentagon for recruiting purposes. And that's and that's a law in the United States of America since two thousand one. That is correct. It's, it's a law that wasn't much advertised, uh, and that most people don't really understand exists, and it sets us apart from most nations on Earth. Mm. When the law was passed, the law said that schools must notify parents. They have the right to remove their kids' names from the lists going to the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Or the parents have the right to opt out. Mm. Problem is, the law didn't specifically say how the heck that was supposed to happen. Mm. And so throughout Virginia, for instance, most schools do little or nothing to notify parents. They may bury a form on the on the website or they may put it on page 52 of the student handbook but parents don't realize they have the right to opt out and so no one does and it's amazing because right next door in Maryland there's a law that says that the parents have to fill out a form Mm -hmm. um, that uh, decides whether or not they submit or consent to uh their child's information going to the military. And of course, parents can say that they want to, but um, the information we have is about 90% of parents will opt out if given a choice. You and know, most uh, parents don't want recruiters calling up. Exactly, especially as, with ages as young as 13. But uh, uh, I wonder if parents even know, because you know, there are certain segments of our population, let's put it that way, certain institutions 
that are masters at how they name things. I always say it's all in the marketing. But to call something Every Student Succeeds Act and that be what is actually requiring principals of schools to give the names and contact information of uh, junior high, middle school age students, it, I think it's misleading, but, you know... Well, it's a massive piece of legislation. I think it's seven or 800 pages long, and, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it wraps up all the titles, Title Two, Title Nine, things that people are typically familiar with. And so it's, it's the entire federal legislation regarding funding, et cetera, of state schools. And really, the, the section dealing with military recruitment is actually fairly small. Mm-hmm. But there is an irony there. Uh, uh, you know, every student succeeds at. But the, the, the fourth thing I mentioned um, earlier, that there are four general campaigns waged by the military, the fourth one has to do with just the access that recruiters have. Now, that same legislation, ESSA, says also that military recruiters are to enjoy the same access given to college recruiters in the nation's public high schools. The reality, however, is that recruiters, military recruiters, enjoy much greater access. Now, how is that? And and can you give us an example of that? The comparison? Uh, well, absolutely. Um, you know, the uh, high schools typically allow military recruiters to have lunch um, in the cafeteria, uh, whereas college recruiters will normally call and make appointments. And so, you know, if you're um, in a school and the recruiter from the University of Virginia or, heck, uh, Randolph-Macon or wherever they might be Mm -hmm. um, will be present, then typically students will make appointments to see those college recruiters in the uh, counselor's office. With military recruiters, they're often given free range. So they can run the halls and they can chill in the parking lot and they can eat lunch with the kids uh, during the cafeteria. So also, um, and this is part of the military recruiters handbook uh, put out by the United States Military and Troops Processing Command. The goal here, um, according to the military, is school ownership. So we have thousands of recruiters across the country who are coaches, who are counselors, who are tutoring children, who have offices in schools, and who, uh, you know, um, perform hundreds of tasks in the public schools. And so that's how they're able to get have their presence. And what they're trying to do, of course, is to forge relationships with these kids. Of course. And, you know, and on the face of it, it's not an awful thing uh, uh, if it's not so subversive, but it's not an awful thing if the parents are aware of it and get and get to exercise their option to to take their child out of it. But it uh, it is like we've occupied our education by, with our military. Am I overreacting? Um, I don't think so, and I think uh, world public opinion would certainly be with you. And I say that because it's where the United Nations draws the line. Now, the United Nations, as an organization uh, on the combating the militarization of children in armed conflict, Mm. and they argue that if a nation, and of course most nations don't recruit children under 18, Mm -hmm. in the United States of America, 10% of our armed force 
um, every year um, comes from children that are 17. And they mm. join um, with the consent of their parents. Oftentimes, however, there are thousands of children who are recruited who are under 18, and they're recruited and contacted without parental knowledge or consent. Mm. And so the optional protocol on children um, in armed conflict calls on the United States um, to stop a mandatory military testing in the public schools because they see that as a way for the military to recruit children uh, without parental consent. So the UN is basically pointing its finger at the United States of America for um, unfair recruiting practices and claiming that the United States is not adhering to um, the accord. And you know, I... This also, it throws us once again, us meaning the United States of America, the American people, it throws us in with that crowd, few though they may be, that actually force, uh, in some third world countries, force uh, children into their armies, whether they're rebelling against a, a government or kidnapping girls. You know, as Lincoln said, we're judged by the company we keep. I just wonder how we got to a situation. I know nine. I got 9-11, I understand, and, and I certainly was uh, with everyone else who, I'm sure, when we saw that happen, there was a fervor to not let it happen again. I understand that, but we can't throw out human decency and protecting our children from mob rule. Somewhere in there, Pat, I hope you can find a question. I know you have the answer. Well, uh, I don't know uh, how many answers I have. I mean, I I, I understand the problem. Uh, you know, solving it is quite another um, issue. I, I'm old enough to have been um, on the streets during uh, Vietnam, and I remember when we watched the news one night, and... Uh, the ping pong balls uh, were shown on the television set. It was during the draft. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the year. I guess it would be about 70 or 71. And, you know, my brother's ping pong ball came up, and he was number three. Wow. And um, so he, he immediately um, he joined the um, the D.C., you know, Washington, D.C., Air mm-hmm. National Guard. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, he served. Uh, he never went to Vietnam, but... Um, there was a draft, and mm. when that draft was instituted, hundreds of thousands took to the streets. And, you know, living in Washington, we were very much part of that. Yes. Um, and so I think that the um, the leaders of the nation understood that they just can't draft people without risking, you know, just the revolution. Yes. And so... Um, I think there was um, a vote in the House of Representatives um, shortly after 9-11, and I think that vote was somewhere in the order of 400 and some to four um, against reinstituting a draft. So, I mean, it's it's a Mm non-starter. And so so the, the military likes to offer this idea that we have a volunteer military, but it's anything but a volunteer military. I agree. Uh, for instance, 65% of the of, of the people that are participating in the Jedi program are from the Old South. Mm. And and the kids that grow up in Georgia are three to four times more likely to join than kids that grow up in Vermont. And so, 
Well, we have a culture of militarism in areas of the South that simply don't exist everywhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. So we have this kind of, of military cult or, or, or military caste, yes. C-A-S-T-E, yes. Uh, you know, and, and um, so, but the military is having an extraordinarily difficult time recruiting right now. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, an inverse correlation, if you will, Marcella, between um, uh, unemployment rates and enlistment rates. Yes. And it's a, they're having a devil of a time getting folks to, to join right now because the economy seems to be doing a little bit better. In fact, unemployment rates, I think, are pretty much near a 20-year low. Yes. All right, Pat, we're going to take a short break. Stay with us, everyone. We're talking to Pat Elder, the director of the National Coalition to Protect Student Privacy, NCPSP. And a huge part of that uh, organization's mission is to give parents as well as students the right not to be, shall we say, farmed out to our military. How's that to get you to come back? Well, we've got a lot more to talk about, but I, I also want to ask Pat about how these military training, marksmanship and rifles, etc., where it takes place in the schools, and has it supplied us with mass shooters? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. At the Indie Film Minute, we admire the spirit of filmmakers who simply make it happen. Trust us, a career in filmmaking is no easy task, and when opportunities do not present themselves, we salute those who refuse to turn away and simply make their own opportunity. Soul Proprietor is a dark noir puzzle writhing in the gutter of hopelessness. It was written, produced, and directed by Dan Everly, who also stars as Crowley, a burned-out CIA dark asset. Done with a job, Crowley wants a new identity and a new life, and he knows how to get it. He contracts with a mob who will, for a fee, provide the new identity. But then they change the deal. Instead of paying cash, he will do a job for them. While waiting for details, Crowley turns to the internet for companionship. There he meets Sophie, a femme fatale, with an agenda of her own. She senses that Crowley from the internet has the skills she needs, and subtly she zeroes him in on her own target. There are twists and turns and ugliness behind every corner, and in the end, enough turns can bring you back to your start. A dangerous place to be. Sole proprietor. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is Pat Elder, the director of the National Coalition to Protect Student Privacy, NCPSP. We've been talking about how our military, since the 2001 law, Every Student Succeeds Act, is an enormous law, but it includes a lot of permissions and provisions for the military to go into schools, middle school even, 13-year-olds, and teach them, I'm trying to avoid the word indoctrinate, but at 13, you know, uh, there's a lure for the uh, the appeal of the trigger, you know, whether it's cowboys and Indians or G.I. Joe, and for adults to go in with all the toys and the uniform. Plus, there's this America's Army video game. But in addition to that, there is the issue of 
some young people who get this kind of involvement uh, in schools with the JROTC have gone on to kill people, but also the immediate cause is a healthcare issue as well. So, uh, Pat, tell us where this training goes on in the school and how that, the many ways I think, that can affect the health of the shooters as well as the student body. Marcello, well, first of all, the JROTC program typically uses the Rocky 877 CR2 air rifle. Now, you probably remember uh, the Christmas story yes. um, where, gosh, what was the kid's name in the Christmas story? Ralphie. Uh-huh. Ralphie, you know, really wanted to get that, uh, that BB gun. Well, this is a cousin of that BB gun, and it shoots a .177 caliber flat-nose air gun pellet that speeds up to 600 feet per second. That's mm. uh, about three times faster than Ralphie's gun. Mm. Um, the pellet has a diameter of .177 inches, made of lead, and just like a .22, um, you know, a .22 has a caliber of, what, .22 inches. So yes. um, a .22 pistol, like the kind that was uh, used in the attempted assassination of President Reagan, yes. uh, fires at about 800 feet per second. So, so they're both lethal weapons. Mm. Um, you know, it should be mentioned that the Army put a uh, gun like this into the hands of Nick Cruz in his high school uh, when Nick was 14. Wow. Now, these guns use, they use lead pellets, and there's a ton of research out there um and you know without you know causing your listeners um you know ears to glaze over such thing occurs <laughs> um i'll just give you a little bit um you know just to provide a sense of the research um studies of shooters who fired only air guns report um blood lead levels of uh 1.8 12.7 micrograms per deciliter. Uh, and there are, so if you just kind of remember that, if you shoot only lead pellets, only air guns, not the big guns, mm-hmm. you will have, you will experience elevated blood lead levels up to 12.7 micrograms per deciliter. We also have research that says that um, you know, the Centers for Disease Control says there's there's no safe blood level in children. Even minute levels can, can bring on really harmful health effects involving the kidney, involving cognitive abilities, involving uh, hypertension. And one piece of research just published in the Journal of Gynecology and Women's Health says that blood levels of just two 10 uh, micrograms per deciliter cause gestational hypertension and reduce fetal growth. So, so you have you have situations where children are firing lead ammunition mm-hmm. in high school cafeterias where they eat, mm-hmm. where the plume of lead dust, depending upon which way the air conditioner is running, which mm-hmm. way the ventilation system is running blows back into the children's faces. And we have YouTube videos showing this. The pellet comes out of the barrel and deposits at the shooting line. 
and it hits at the target end, also uh, accumulating piles of lead dust uh, at the target uh, on the floor. And so this is a extremely urgent health uh, crisis yes. that no one seems to be paying attention to. And, and even the cleanup of the dust, the sweeping of the floor after by custodians, adds to the problem, doesn't it? It absolutely does. The biggest problem in all of this is a publication by USA Shooting and the Civilian Marksmanship Program. They both publish a guide to marksmanship. Yes. And a guide to lead management uh, affiliated with the Jirazi marksmanship programs. So even though you have the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines in the high schools teaching the kids how to fire these weapons, you have the civilian marksmanship and USA shooting that publish the the guide that shows them how they're supposed to handle the, the lead. The publication says there is no such thing as airborne lead caused by shooting these CO2-driven pellets. Yet we have a host of research that claims otherwise. It's interesting because um, the CMP and USA um, shooting hang their hat on um, HET. It's a, it's a corporation out of um, Denver, Colorado. And that corporation has been cited by Colorado um, authorities for professional neglect and um, has been cited for other matters as well. Mm. And so all throughout the the country, despite a a ton of research that shows that firing lead pellets causes airborne lead, we have um, the military going by what the civilian marksmanship program in the USA shooting set. And then also that guide is very detailed in explaining how to handle lead cleanup after the shooting occurs. Unfortunately, a lot of high schools don't abide by it. Mm. Um, And so we have janitors sweeping up pellets, we have kids crossing the firing line, we have kids that aren't wearing protective covers on their shoes, we have children that are walking directly to the targets, we have kids that are handling the targets, we have kids that are actually cleaning the targets in the area under the targets uh, and not going through designated areas. All of these things are, are earmarked in the guide to lead handling by these two organizations that simply are not abided by in high schools. Just just go to YouTube and you know Google J. Roxy Marksmanship Program. Get a copy of the guide to lead management, and you can easily in an hour find a dozen examples of high schools that are not paying attention to these stringent guidelines. There's just a lack of enforcement. The Civilian Marksmanship Program has $220 million in assets. More, I should say, than the NRA. The Civilian Marksmanship Program is much more involved in the schools um, than the NRA, Mm. and yet it's never mentioned. Yes, well... And, and we should mention the obvious, of course, that lead is poison, whether it's in flint water or it's in a house paint. And certainly, if you're firing it in a cafeteria in a school, handling all that you need to handle in the cleanup as well as the shooting and the practice in the cafeteria, for Pete's sake, where the other students eat. Ah, it's just lead is poison, this period. Okay. That's right. But when these kids as young as 13, you know, they're, they're 
when the high school says no, can't shoot here, they they're brought to filthy and largely unregulated commercial firing ranges mm. through their participation in the Jayrachi program, where they come into even greater contact at much higher levels of lead contamination on surfaces and in the air compared to what they might even, you know, uh, uh, encounter in their own contaminated cafeterias and gyms. Now, I wonder, did I hear you that the, say that there are videos on YouTube about uh, these kinds of uh, military programs in uh, public schools? Absolutely. You can go to um, studentprivacy.org and click on the page about firing ranges. Let's see, what is that? Page? J-Roxy shooting programs are dangerous to the health and safety of American school children. Find that page on the website of the National Coalition to Protect Student Privacy. Okay. And we'll repeat that again before we go. And also something else you said, I know you mentioned his name, Nick Cruz, at 14. He was trained by the Army in school how to shoot a lethal weapon. And we want to make certain everyone remembers that Nick Cruz is the shooter in the Parkland, recent Parkland, uh, Florida, where 17 uh, students were killed. This, I, I just, you know, I, I am a veteran. I am uh, uh, proud of what I, I too didn't have to go to Vietnam because I could sing. I was with the Army Field Band and the Soldiers Chorus and ultimately the Soldiers of Song. And, and But I'm proud that I wore the uniform. I'm proud of being a veteran. I do all I can to help veterans. But I cannot find an upside other than we need young relatively less educated or informed volunteers to go into the army. I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm just so torn. Not, not, not because I, I think there's a, a upside to this. I'm torn because of the way we are ignoring ourselves to death or ignoring our future. I mean, what are we leaving? What are we teaching our students? If, we, if they're shooting lethal weapons in the school cafeteria when they're 13 and 14 years old. What's the lesson? Well, uh, the J. Rodsey textbook teaches children that we had to drop atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to save a, a million American lives. Mm. The historical record is not true. Yes. It would suggest otherwise. You know, they're, they're teaching kids that, that the United States Navy um, ship was... Um, was attacked by North North Vietnamese in the Gulf of Tonkin and, and uh, you know, just came under fire. And that's simply not the, the truth. Where the kids um, through the textbooks used, and, and you know, the, all four branches have textbooks for all four years. They teach U.S. government. They teach U.S. history. The U.S. government, the Army textbooks unit is called Youth People. Uh, I don't remember you, the people. I remember we, the people. Mm. But in the J. Roxy program, the most important thing is adherence to order and adherence to the chain of command. And in a free democracy, a representative democracy envisioned by guys like Madison, Monroe, and Jefferson, mm -hmm. um, that's not the case. You're supposed to be a skeptic. But in this country today, if you're a skeptic, you're scorned especially mm. if you're skeptical of the military-industrial complex, especially if you point your finger at the DOD and you demand transparency, you are 
referred to as being unpatriotic. Yes. Patriotism is used to uh, to teach children how to kill is not patriotism, but this there's a I know you've mentioned we've we've talked about before this the visceral appeal of the trigger it exploits for recruiting purposes I mean I just I keep going back to again like I mentioned at the beginning of the first segment I was in high school we did have ROTC we did have a army officer there and then we should mention I should mention this is not just an army program in the schools but the navy and marines are there as well competing dare I say with each other for your teenage child to love the excitement that comes I know because my uncle Gino taught me how to shoot long before I was in high school and I was good at it and when I was in the army I was a great marksman uh, you know with even the battalion commander commenting on how well I shot but I don't know. Pat, tell us about this America's Army video game. Sure. Well, um, I'd like to start by um, briefly mentioning Lieutenant Colonel David uh, Grossman. He wrote a book called On Killing. Yes. Colonel Grossman studied these things and reported on Michael Carneal, uh, the, the Paducah, Kentucky killer. Yes. Michael was a kid about Nick Cruz's age, and he had a pistol with eight rounds, and he walked into the library during a prayer meeting mm. and shot each kid, shot eight children in the head with with ju- just in rapid fire. Bam, 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 like you would in a video game. Yes. And, you know, Michael learned how to kill through first-person video games. Now, we're not saying that Everyone that plays first-person shooter games is a killer. Yes. But we are saying that there is a visceral appeal mm-hmm. and that it it does create a certain segment that do turn into being masculars, mm-hmm. whether they are uh, allowed by law or not. Let's face it, people that join the military ought to kill. Mm-hmm. It's their mission to kill. Yes. And so... And so while you have the World Health Organization pointing its finger at first-person shooter games and saying, we know that there is a disorder that affects a certain percentage of the population around the planet, a disorder that would cause a child to shoot these, these, these virtual games for 15 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And it should be noted here that Nick Cruz Several people interviewed and said that Nick Krupp's most of his day shooting things and blowing things up through these first-person shooter games. And his Instagram account actually documents it for us. Mm. He's shown playing a first-person shooter game. Um, so it's pretty amazing. So I would argue that the United States military understands and embraces um, the appeal, um, the visceral appeal, of having the adolescent finger wrapped around a trigger. Yes. Um, and so they have an America's Army game and Massachusetts Institute of Technology that says that there is nothing that comes close to the magic that 
that this army shoot 'em up game mm-hmm. works as far as recruiting. So the America Army recruiting game, uh, the shooting game, is uh, more powerful and brings more individuals into the military than all other recruiting programs combined, according to MIT. And so the Army gets it. Yes. So let's go into the, the schools, they reckon, and let's have firing programs sure. where we can teach children how to shoot. How many Virtual or real doesn't matter. Yeah. How, how many do you think, what's the percentage of, of people who uh, complete the JROTC? How many enlist? That is a fuzzy number, um, but there is congressional testimony that suggests as many as 40%. Wow. So it's certainly a recruiting program. Yes. Although the military will never admit that the J. Rocci program is a recruiting program. Mm. They instead say that it is a public service. Yes. And that they are producing citizens and that they are instilling values in these uh, citizens. Without always okay. making certain the parents have the option to opt out. All right. Well... Yeah, that's a good point, too. Typically, the j Two program is voluntary, but we have an increasing number of schools, again, throughout the South, that mandate ninth, grades, ninth graders to, to take the j Two program. So um, it's not always uh, voluntary. It's sometimes required. Yeah. Same as military testing. We have a 1,000 schools now that force children to take the military's enlistment test. We have a thousand schools in America that force children to take the military's enlistment test. Mm. Not making it up. This is fake news. Yes, I, I know what you're saying is true, and that we need to do something about it. How do we? How do we educate ourselves further? Tell us slowly your website and some of the things we can find there that substantiate what you're saying. If there are any doubters out there. The website is studentprivacy.org, not too tough, studentprivacy.org. You're greeted on the homepage with a database. Just click on the link. There are 1,871 high schools that have military shooting programs. The data is arranged by state. So just click on your state and then find a high school nearest you. And uh, we would suggest that you fill out a, an email um, and have the email sent to your local state representatives mm-hmm. demanding that this practice end and then asking them to get in touch with you. Uh, and then we can help you from there. We have um, sent 3,300 um, letters to um, state representatives in every state now. And we have... Uh, we have 15 different states in play. Uh, No one yet has had the courage to stand up, not one legislator, Mm. to say that they will submit legislation to ban the practice, but we're looking for that one heroic individual. You can click on the website on that first page and you can... You can see the, the data regarding the J. Rotsy shooting programs and the contamination of lead. And then you can also see the database for the military testing as well. So everything is right on that front page. And you know, we would ask that you take a look at it and get in touch with us. And I'd like to also thank uh, groups like World Beyond War, Code Pink, and others across the country that have been getting their activists to get in touch with their state legislators. You know, it's a wise campaign that is directed 
to individual states. Yes. There are some states that are liable to put together legislation, just like some states have said, hey, military, you can't require children to test. Uh, you, can't, you can't test children without uh, parental consent. Yes. We, have, we have Hawaii, we have New Hampshire, we have Maryland. We can't get Congress to do that. We mm. do have a shot in banning this practice in a few states. All right. Thank you so much, Pat Elder. It has been, shall I say, alarming education that we all need. Pat Elder, the director of the National Coalition to Protect Student Privacy, NCPSP. Be in touch with his website at the very least and talk to your local representatives. Thank you so much, Pat Elder, for being on the show, and heaven knows I wish you all the best. Thank you. And now enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Marcello Rolando, the reasonable voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. April's mission accomplished. Trump's trails of tales begetting trials. Was Trump's 180-degree swing from announcing leaving to bombing Syria a heads-up notifying Putin where Russia could avoid a lunacy-induced harm's way? Is Paul Ryan running for president or avoiding a Mueller impeachment gauntlet at the feet of his tax breaks for the super-wealthy? Is it too radical to wonder if a deadly tragic Trump Tower fire was an attempt to destroy evidence? Regardless, isn't questioning our choices and ourselves more cathartic than obsessing over the urinating preferences of a sex addict's undercover obsessions to compensate for lacking beyond the next crotch cover-up? Are there not renewed and diverse American dreams beckoning us to come true and emulate our better angels like me too and never again? Why do we elect to wallow with repeat offenders in stormy weather, showering us with gold without glitter, rather than aligning with humankind's natural good Samaritan impulse to embrace the golden rule rekindled by Boston Strong? 
How did we become self-deceived by the self-serving, manipulating, non-reasoning targets as pawns to impede we the people with hypocritical, disfigured politics? Does Spring Forward program our being accomplices before and after the fact welcome mats for conservative congressional nuptials co-mingling with untethered, too-big-to-jail corporatism? April gave us Thomas Jefferson, Adolf Hitler, death and taxes. But it was August that delivered a census now in danger of being taken with duress and harassed by a rook projecting tall tales on the tattered remnants of rational thought. April killed our bloody civil war, but cauterized exceptionalism with the stain of assassination indoctrination, while ignoring revolutionary women making midnight ride, inspiring Pony Express, Richmond's capitulation, and equal means equal. The shot heard round the world was an April clarion call, more patriotic than Colorado's National Guard, answering Rockefeller mining, a la Kent State, to arms, to Ludlow massacre miners, women, and children. April gave world peace, NATO, evolution, Clarence Darrow, America, Dorothea Dix, Washington, presidential and enslaved, a sacrificed king, and slaughtered national conscience on a hotel kitchen floor. What divides and defines is vision, reason, and willingness to listen. So does occupying opposite Tennessee River sides, banking on no surprises before equality prize. Preceding tweeting chief, did April embrace Jackie Robinson, Sarah Day O'Connor's Chief Justice Brevity, and Boss Tweed equally? Sadly, no. But we can choose to be an Alexander Graham Bell seeking to save President James Garfield, or a blissful doctor's dirty hands clinging to, this is how we've always done it. Change isn't just white supremacists using a Lee statue to conceal disdain for Black Lives Matter at Starbucks. Change is the lifeline connecting us with reform from within, and the lifeblood for thriving after the 115th Congress we elected. Since our 1776 battles between revolutionaries and loyalists to the crown, conservatives have resisted the evolution of an exceptional constitution, preferring instead to ensconce the demagogues of Jim Crow, McCarthyism, and Pence Trump. Listen. We cannot see our way forward if we insist on blinding ourselves to why. Why trickle-down tricks? Why the Dunkirk of Chappaquiddick? Why the constant Alec prevarications of cokehead politicians? What lessons can we really learn from gropers of treason? Perhaps that sometimes we must hit rock bottom before we can see our lit pathway above and beyond. The wisdom we need to progress forward hasn't changed since barefooted farm boys fought in the snow of Valley Forge, while John Adams from Massachusetts, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, and Caesar Rodney of Delaware, along with many other liberals, argued, as Jefferson compromised, with their 18th-century Lou Dobbs and Sean Hannity. 
When an annual march of migrant workers asking for a chance by peacefully seeking employment causes Brigadier General elation for the opportunity to renege on America's Statue of Liberty promise, perhaps it's time to protect student privacy from those who practice the only good reaction to nonviolence is a gun reaction. We can settle for Camp David or embrace our individual higher loyalty, seeing ourselves as President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's Shangri-La. But we cannot afford to wait for perfect to launch anew, for perfection will forever elude. Recognizing our youth in our youth, let's begin with what's immediately at hand, remembering the most patriotic expression of exceptional peaceful assembly is preserving, protecting, and defending for everyone the privilege to vote. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice blog talk radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of thereasonablevoice.com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.